0: Welcome to On Work and Revolution, where we talk about what is shaking up in the world of work right now, and how we can make work life suck less. For people who know me, you know I'm always aiming for amazing workplace, but there are some days when suck less seems just fine. I'm your host, Debbie Goodman, and today we have as our guest, Henna Pryor henna and i share a common background henna spent 14 years in the executive search industry before transitioning into her current role as workplace performance expert she is executive coach extraordinaire and an award-winning speaker she's just added tedx to her list of illustrious speaking stages that she's graced with her presence She's been featured in all of the top business publications, including Forbes, Fast Company, many, many more. And she presents and facilitates sessions with companies like Google, Workday, Johnson & Johnson, long list of companies. Henna is one of the first people I have come across who is both a CPA and a PCC. And I love acronyms, but I'm going to explain what that means. It's a certified public accountant, and a professional certified coach through the ICF, which is the International Coaching Federation, which is probably why she is so highly sought after. All of this is to let you know that our guest today, Henna, knows her stuff. Okay, she's a proper expert and you need to, when she gives advice, you need to listen. So today we're going to be talking to Henna about the very prickly, challenging, thorny, awkward matter, of negotiating salary packages, particularly women negotiating their salary packages. And you're gonna wanna listen all the way to the end of this. So welcome, Henna.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And I love out of the gate that you used the word awkward to describe what it feels like to have to have these conversations because that is the perfect word. And it's one that I use a lot when we talk about tough conversations in business and in life in general so can't wait you and
0: i we're both interviewers we've spent many years interviewing people and we're always trying to understand people's career decisions and moves and so i have to ask how come the transition from a long and very very unbelievably successful career in executive search to what you're doing now
1: it was the scariest thing i ever did you know i left my staffing and search career at the height of my career things were going very well Um, You know, income was good. I had a great quality of life. I was working from home well before the world started doing so, you know, I was uniquely working from home. And I'll tell you that it really boils down to this one truth. In a job in executive search and staffing, you are all day every day encouraging others to take professional risks that would help them meet their full potential and there was a point for several years where while I was successful and while I enjoyed it a little I knew that I was made to do more and it was fear and you know the unknowing the uncertainty that was keeping me right where I was and I owed it to myself to follow my own advice and play into a bigger potential that I knew I was capable of having so the whisperings of you know being more in the professional development space they were strong and Finally, at some point, I quieted myself long enough to listen and I made the jump. Wow,
0: well, that is definitely very brave and courageous. I think I've been doing what I do for like way too long. And fortunately, I have the opportunity to extend my range into different areas and uh, you know do creative projects like this as well. But congratulations on taking the leap. And it seems to be working out for you, so well done.
1: It is working out beautifully. If anyone is on the fence about what's next, I think you basically summed it up perfectly. There's more than one way to do it, right? You can take a leap or no one says that you know, your nine to five or whatever it may be has to be the thing that helps you scratch creative itches or, you know, explore new parts of your range. There's many ways to do it. And I love that we're both doing it in different ways.
0: I first encountered you on a webinar where you were speaking about negotiating salary packages, which can be a challenging thing in itself for anyone at any time, actually. But it's
1: significantly more challenging for women than men. Why is that? First things first, let's get tactical. That's a little bit different around the world, but especially in the US, there's legislation around pay equity, you know, equal work for equal pay, but there isn't accountability for it. And the enforcement is very inconsistent. So I just want to call out out of the gate, you know, one of the reasons it can be difficult is no one's feet are held to the flame to make sure that it happens. So it's a little bit of a systemic problem just to start we can zoom out there let's just say that you do actually come and say hey i'm doing the same work as this gentleman over here and i'm not receiving the same pay the onus to actually bring that case and bring all the information is still on the woman to you know provide the evidence provide the follow-up oftentimes we just decide it's not worth it which is a no and it's a big deterrent from fighting for equal pay right to have that conversation So I think it's just important to know that out of the gate, right? That's something that we are climbing against when it comes to this conversation. And the other reason is just there isn't often commitment from the top. So there has been data now from companies across industries, across sizes, that they say they want equal pay for equal work. They want women to feel valued for the work that they do, and yet the messages that are implicitly sent down is you know you will get these positions these promotions these raises these you know salary jumps based on things like who's the noisiest who works the longest who is in the office and disproportionately especially in the last few years in the pandemic women have been set back from these issues you know many left the workforce in droves And others were the first to raise their hand to be more flexible with their schedule, to not take on the additional overtime, to opt for the remote work arrangement. And so now with a lot of these new nuances, we're even bigger on that delta, on that gap between feeling like we can even ask. So we've taken the concessions and decided, you know, that's good enough. And it's really deepened that ability to ask for what we want institutionally and in terms of the
0: infrastructure that we have, first of all, in order to bring a case around uh, or even raise the issue, we're not even talking about getting litigious here. We're just talking about having the conversation. To have the conversation, it requires a lot of courage, but regardless of whether we are saying, well, I'm not being paid equally to my counterpart who happens to be male, the conversation itself, that women struggle more than men to talk about what they're worth essentially or asking for a pay raise or negotiating the terms of their financial compensation at any point whether they are a valued employee at an existing company or if they are perhaps looking at a new career opportunity and something's been put in front of them and now they want to you know they want to negotiate that what i've understood is that from our prior conversation is that there's a there seems to be like a mindset issue so so i want to understand a little more about that
1: yes very much so so yeah before we even get down the road of pay equity just why can't we have this conversation comfortably right how how do we even bring it up so you're exactly right it's it's heavily rooted in mindset that women in general have been conditioned to have over many many years so i'll give you a few examples of the mindset adjustments that we need one is women have been historically reluctant to claim their accomplishments we don't like to get as loud and proud as we ought to about the things that we've done women tend to take this stance of well this is just part of the job You know I'm just meeting expectations isn't this what I'm supposed to do you know and so as a result we don't with any regularity for sure vocalize the things that we've done if we do and this is even an if if we do it's only at review time or it's only when the discussion is even on the table to consider salary but The mindset shift that needs to occur is this sort of self-advocacy, this sort of claiming of our accomplishments, of our wins, of our successes, is not a once a year, twice a year activity. It's a how do we build in comfort? How do we build the muscle of courage to do this on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, in a regular cadence so that come salary negotiation time, this isn't the first time that leadership is hearing about all these incredible things that you've done. And that is a muscle to build over time.
0: Certainly. I mean, I'm imagining that um, some listeners may be having like cold shivers at the thought of having to self-promote, you know, self-advocacy, as you call it, is often frowned on. It's You know, there's some sort of a little stigma associated with being over-promoting and sometimes unfairly the gender bias towards a woman uh, promoting uh, her accomplishments uh, versus a man in the environment that we know, we know from there's so much literature on it, there's so much data on it, that we don't have to regurgitate that particular part of the conversation. But nevertheless, the thought of going, oh my goodness, now I need to actually tell people, first of all, acknowledge to myself, the accomplishments that I'm making and then share that in a way that I feel okay with that I'm not going to be looked upon in a way that my colleagues and peers start frowning on me or thinking about me as a shameless self-promoter that in itself is a I mean we're not even talking about the package piece we're talking about just the standing up and saying hey these are my accomplishments
1: here's a hard truth that everyone needs to hear. And I actually learned this from um, the CEO of a company called Sindio, which is a pay equity software company. She was citing a study that was done, the academic's name is slipping me, but essentially the study said, sorry, overconfidence is not good for performance. So overconfidence is not good for performance, but it is required for promotions and raises. For promotions and raises, we have to be able to muster it and call on it, even if it doesn't serve us the rest of the time. It doesn't serve us the rest of the time.
0: While we're on this topic, I mean, you coach female executives and people who are at the top of their careers in you know, cre- having the language to actually speak about their accomplishments. Can you share a, sort of a, a little tidbit or a tip on how to actually do that?
1: Yes. So you used the word earlier of self-promotion. And this is, you know, the biggest fear I think of women, especially when they think about advocating and talking about their own accomplishments and talking about why they're worth it. Right. Am I going to come across as self-promotional? So I'm going to share two tactical things. First, you know, this is another, you know, if you can let this wash over you and really repeat this to yourself as a mantra, this is one that I use very regularly. It's not bragging if you've done it. You are not being self-promotional. You are not bragging if you've done it. It's a statement of fact. You are just showing people what has occurred. You are bringing visibility to a statement of fact. So first, you know, (laughs) get get over this idea that sharing visibility into the projects you've completed is self-promotional, especially in this increasingly hybrid and decentralized world. People don't see it unless you tell them. 100%.
0: So partly making sure that you actually have the space to talk about it and then making sure that you do communicate it. And then as you say, if you've done it, then it's a statement of fact.
1: Why, why, why hold back? Which brings to part two, which is, you know, you don't need to share what you've done without context, right? It's not just, hey, big victory on this project. Have a nice day, (laughs) right? I get that that feels self-promotional, but what you can and should do is take the thing, the accomplishment. Let's say you have three accomplishments that you're excited to share with your manager. You're trying to keep that person up to speed in the spirit of making sure that these things are shared throughout the year. Make sure to include how those accomplishments helped big picture company goals or helped your department, right? What was the accomplishments contribution essentially, what was the accomplishments help to your boss, right? What did you What did you create? What did you achieve for your team, for your company? And frame it through that lens. Help your manager understand the value that you brought to the org through that accomplishment. So you want to make sure you frame it with enough of the background story and the context so that they understand, ah, This is a big deal, right? This is something that we we really value from this person. We spoke about how being able to talk about your accomplishments
0: and your wins is something that needs to happen regularly weekly, monthly, at a regular cadence, and not just at the time of the performance review, because that has an impact on mindset already. And so if we have to continue the conversation around mindset, or the mindset that, that holds us back from being able to talk about why we do a package increase, or why we're due some kind of promotion, are you saying that part of that is because we're not very comfortable in speaking about our accomplishments and our worth regularly? It's a muscle we don't exercise frequently enough.
1: Yeah, I, I view it exactly how you've just described, which is an untrained, unconditioned muscle. So what I often advise you know, my coaching clients, my group coaching clients is, don't let the conversation about salary happen for the first time in a salary review conversation. That is literally the equivalent of going to the gym after never having gone in the last five years and picking up a 200 pound barbell. It's going to hurt a lot, right? <laughs> So practice the reps ahead of those conversations in small ways in a team meeting, You know, try to, to find little opportunities to practice sharing an accomplishment or a little opportunity maybe with a peer instead of a leader to talk about salary related things, right? Maybe what it's about how to talk about your next bonus cycle coming up. Practice in smaller low stakes situations so that your mindset muscle becomes more conditioned, more comfortable in those types of conversations. So when the main event comes, this isn't an untrained muscle. This this is a muscle that's had some experience with these conversations. Otherwise, we're trying to push through a wall of resistance, a wall of friction, when those small opportunities for practice can break that wall down. Mindset, partly exercising this muscle,
0: which enables the feeling of self-worth as well as the practice in using the language, because sometimes I think it's the, the language that we don't necessarily have at the tips of our tongue. And and sometimes I think some people, some women, some career moms in particular, sometimes come in with an, a feeling of, I should just be grateful to have this job where it's a nice company and, and I, my, I like my colleagues and, you know, the work is good. And so I should just be grateful for what I have. And so... I'm a little nervous about shaking this boat, because what if that would be seen negatively, and then all of a sudden, I'm no longer seen favorably by my boss or my colleagues? Is is that an element of the fear
1: that creeps in? Very much so. It's tied to our innate fear of losing approval, right? You know, many people in general, but especially women still have this desire to be people pleasers. You know, we care a lot what others think. We care a lot about how how we're perceived. And so actually in my TEDx, I talk a lot about this. You know, we reach this sort of gap that we are, you know, in the state of wanting approval, wanting to make our bosses happy, wanting to make our peers like us. And then on the other side of that gap is everything we want it is everything we want we see it we know that there's a huge salary that we deserve we see the promotion over there but we have this false idea that it's going to be this nice breezy cakewalk to the other side of the gap when in reality we have to sort of mentally first understand that there are going to be periods where we need to jump right where we need to embrace the discomfort and go into a conversation going, so you know. here's my own practice self-talk that I have in difficult conversations. I literally will say to myself going into it, Henna, this isn't going to feel very good, but if you care more about that than you do worrying about what someone is going to think if you try something, then you need to be willing to sit in the discomfort. And the reality is, and this is something we talk about a lot as well, is humans tend to catastrophize we're very good at catastrophizing. If I make this request to my boss, he's going to think I'm crazy. He's going to think, how dare she ask for so much money? How dare she bring this request to me? You know, this is what we do. We create these stories, these narratives, and they cement themselves into our brain as though they're truth. When the reality, 95% of the time is if they can't do it or don't want to do it, they will just say so. Catastrophizing kind of goes a little further. It goes from,
0: I'm going to ask for something that might not be received so well. And then the next thing I'm fired and we're on the bread line. <laughs> we're, I'm collecting unemployment. So, you know, one goes there in, in a heartbeat. Okay, so there's work to do on mindset. And then there are some tactics, one of which is the exercising of the muscle to talk about one's accomplishments regularly. But what else, how else can one prepare for this actual conversation around a compensation increase? And I want to add another lens to that in the context right now where we find ourselves in an economy that is starting to quiver and we're hearing about layoffs. And the markets are jittery and employment and whereas companies were holding on to people for dear life, literally six months ago, there's been a shift in tone around employee power. Here we have a listener who goes, I'm up for a salary increase. I really need this inflation, blah, blah, all the things, and I'm going to go in. I've exercised my self-worth muscle. I've been talking about my my accomplishments, but I'm still quivering in my boots and catastrophizing, possibly re- realistically or not, that I could be the next one out the door, but I really need the salary
1: increase. So. How do we do this, Hannah? I love the framing, and I think these are important considerations, right? I think it would be naive to not consider the moment in time that we live in. So few things I would share. So first I'll share, tactically, two things that I think are important to do all the time, regardless of economy, and then I'll speak to something that's unique to maybe the moment that we're in. So first things first is when you are sitting across the table from someone having a salary discussion, you really want to invite that other person to be a collaborator in that discussion so uh, i love uh, you know columbia professor alexandra carter she she tries to avoid this idea of it's not you know trench warfare where it's i'm going to say something and now you're going to say something you know we're not we're not playing ping pong right we're need to go into this thinking we're having a collaborative conversation and one specific way you can do that is think less about the declarations and assertions that you want to make and think more about what are some of the right questions I can ask, So example could be something like, you know, understanding we had this time on the calendar to talk about my salary, you know, before we dive into specifics, you know, how are you feeling about salary reviews right now? What is the tone of the company? What is the tone of the C-suite as it relates to raises in this moment? Do some investigation, collect some data so that you kind of know where you're starting from a footing standpoint before you even begin building your case. So that's number one. Number two is what works best always is when you frame what you are trying to accomplish, you know, in this case, a salary raise, let's say, through the lens of what are the benefits to your boss? What's in it for them? What are the benefits to them? So, sometimes again, without rehearsing or training or conditioning for these conversations, what many women are assuming is that they go into this conversation saying, Hey, I've done a really good job. I think I deserve more money. You know, please give me a raise. That's not usually an approach that feels good or is likely to work. What's more effective is something like, you know, I really enjoy working for this company. I have really been proud of these accomplishments over the last year. And in fact, in the year to come, I'm excited to make bigger contributions. That is such a
0: great way to actually shift the lens of somebody who may not have been thinking about you in relation to the future and what that holds. And I know that I love it when my staff, when my people come to me and they really wanna reaffirm their commitment um, into the future. And that feels really good. And so I think, but as a strategy, in order to give language to one's role, one's accomplishments, and what one, how one can continue to add value in the future in the context of many sh- shifting and moving parts, like, such as turnover, I think mm-hmm. that's a, that's a really great segue yeah. into this
1: conversation. Yeah. May I share, actually, as we've been talking, one more tactic as it relates to the moment in time right now, which is Taking some of the effort off of your leader will take you very far. So I'll get very concrete with this. You know, as the economy changes, sometimes your leader is the ultimate decision maker on salary. Sometimes your leader needs to take that to HR, right? Depending on your role, depending on your company. Oftentimes, leaders see it as, you know, I only have so much social capital I can call on to fight for certain things. And so in order to fight for you, Can you reduce the friction? Can you reduce the effort? So you can first ask the question, hey, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Leader, how can I make this easier for you to make this request? And I've had clients go so far as that list of accomplishments, that list of selling points, the reasons that you deserve that, put it in a nice, neat document that they can literally hand to HR, right? Make it easy for them, make the work, the lift less, and they are much more likely to do it for you. I think that that is
0: an amazing tactic that we sometimes overlook because we are not necessarily speaking to the final decision maker on this on this matter. And so once again, not only just speaking once about one's accomplishments, but keeping a record of it um, is kind of a a good monthly practice to weekly or monthly practice to get into so that when your review or your conversation happens you've got that at the tip of your inbox (laughs) somewhere somewhere in a in a document that's um, that you can easily communicate. Hannah, what are you seeing as the most successful types of package negotiations um, where Let's say companies are really budgeting right now, and they're not necessarily able to do the bigger uplift on actual cash. What else might one be able to ask for? Because if one said, "Listen, this—I these are my accomplishments. This is the value I want to add to the to the company going forward, and I would like to ask for a package increase," and then the response is, "Listen, we're tight, as you can tell, and we don't have a lot of extra." for the coming year. We're going to have to test the market conditions. I imagine that kind of conversation is happening everywhere in offices around the world. Um, how might, what other um, sort of uh,
1: elements of a compensation package could one
0: put on the table?
1: Mm, I love that question and people often forget that there are other elements that you can put on the table. So I'll, I'll you know, share the low hanging fruit first, you can, of course, try to negotiate additional paid time off, right? There is value to that. You can try to negotiate sometimes depending on company size, different types of benefits, things, you know, an increased benefits package, you can sometimes negotiate those rates. I think some of the more powerful ones that people forget about is continuing ed and professional development. You know, these things, programs can be very costly. And so if you can negotiate a sponsorship around some continuing ed programs. Sometimes companies will offer stipends for childcare, dependent care, elder care. You know, really mine for, and this is where it's really useful to ask other people in the organization, what are some of the benefits that they've heard of that other people take advantage of? But really mine for what are some of the options? You know, flexibility and schedule can be one. It really just depends and it's highly individual what is of value to that person but I have seen many instances. I recently was working with a client who went through this very thing where she could not negotiate more money. The money was not available, but she had been really you know, burning the midnight oil for some time. For the next six months, she negotiated Fridays off. Fridays off for six months. It wasn't permanent. It wasn't how it was always going to be, but they valued her. They knew that she was deserving of a salary increase and were unable to give it. But she got it, and they genuinely respected it. She felt like she had her Fridays off. So don't be afraid to be creative with your ask and see what they can meet in the middle with. You'd be surprised that there's more options than we think.
0: Right. There are so many more options than we think. And as a valued employee, our companies will really be looking to find ways to continue to engage and retain you. This has been the most valuable conversation. I mean, at a big picture level, some, you know, thinking about mindset and then some actual tactics and some language to use. Henna, what's the best way to get hold of you?
1: So LinkedIn is my preferred playground. That's where I spend most of my, you know, online hours. Feel free to find me there. Uh, my website is prioritygroup.com. You can also go to hennaprior.com It'll redirect if that's easier. And I love making new friends socially. So please look me up and I'd be happy to connect.
0: Fantastic. I will continue to connect with you. And this has been such an engaging conversation. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All the best. Thanks for hanging around all the way to the end. It would mean the world if you would rate and review on Work and Revolution on your favorite listening app. It helps people know that the show is worth listening to. And so I will really appreciate that. Thank you so much.